0: Good morning, church. Before I get started, I just have to tell you, happy Groundhog Day. <laughs> you thought I was going to say I love you, huh? I, I do love you. And I appreciate you being here. I know that for many of you, it's probably a, a hard week. Uh, maybe not a hard week, but at least a long and busy week. And you're here this morning to start a new week uh, together as a church family, worshiping God and remembering who we are. So thank you. Thank you for being here this morning. Sometime before World War II, apparently, uh, in Pasadena, California, they were having New Year's Day, they were having their annual uh, rose parade, and of course, all of the floats were beautiful and covered in roses, and there was one particular float, and I'm sure it looked great, and it was covered in roses and looked exactly how they wanted it to look, but unfortunately, in the middle of the parade, it ran out of gas, Can you imagine how embarrassing that would be? So it ran out of gas, and of course it stopped, I'm sure, all of the floats behind it, and everything was held up until someone had to go and get a can of gas and bring it back and fill up the float so that it could continue moving down the way. And I can't imagine how embarrassing that would be for any float, but what makes it even more embarrassing is that the float was the float for the Standard Oil Company. (laughs) Can you imagine? I can't even imagine. But as I I thought about that, and as that story was retold, and even the application that the person who told that story was all about was that sometimes we sort of run out of gas. And and I know that there's been lots of times in my life where I I feel like I've, I've just run out of gas, I've just run out of fuel, and I can't do what I know I ought to do and I know those next steps and this year our whole theme for the year is taking the next step by faith and there are a lot of times where we know the next step that we need to take we know that good thing that we need to do the good word that we need to say but we just don't have the motivation to do it we just feel like we've run out of gas you ever been there and felt that way but another thing that I found has happened in my life is not just that I'm unmotivated to take the next step, not just that I've run out of gas, but sometimes I feel like and I've recognized and realized that I'm running on the wrong gas. Now, I, I don't know a lot about cars or automobiles, but I know it's more dangerous to put the wrong gas in the car than it is to run out of gas. You know what I mean? Uh, every time I rent a car, I'm terrified. Maybe this one's a diesel, and I'm supposed to put diesel instead of unleaded. Or maybe maybe it's, uh, I'm putting the wrong fuel in the tank. And so many times in my life, I've, I've recognized that I've been taking the next step and doing good things, but I'm doing it for the wrong reason. And I've been motivated by the wrong things. So not only in this new series do I want to talk about making sure that our life is fueled making sure that we have the fuel to take the next step, but make sure that it's the right fuel, making sure that we're running on and motivated by good things. Let me list off four bad ways to fuel good behavior. So some of these, some of these things are just unhealthy or unsustainable ways to fuel good behavior. The first one's probably pretty obvious, uh, monetary rewards. You know, if we're doing good just to be paid for it, just because of what we might get in a tangible sense, that's probably an unhealthy or unsustainable motivation. Paul warned Timothy and told him that when you, when you chase after and desire to be rich, you, you destroy your life, that the, the root of all kinds of evil is the love of money. But, but some of these others might not be so obvious sometimes. Number two, recognition of others. <laughs> seeking acknowledgement or approval. It can be super easy to do good things simply because people are cheering you on and saying, way to go, I'm so proud of you, you did it. And it boosts our ego and makes us feel good. But Jesus warns us, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people to be seen by them for you will have no reward from your father who's, In heaven. Or how about this? How about proof of superiority? And we're trying to sometimes prove to ourselves or maybe prove to others that we're more spiritual, that we're more religious, that we're more generous, that we're more studious. And there's this competitive spirit that says, I want to be more. I want to be the best. And many times the things that we're doing are actually good things coming to church, or saying our prayers, or being generous and giving to others. But we're doing it with a competitive spirit in order to be more than other people. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Or how about even just the fear of punishment, we do good and we do the right thing and we take the next step, but we're simply doing it to avoid punishment. I don't want to go to hell, and so I'm doing this in order to avoid punishment. But First John chapter 4 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So the goal of this series is to make sure that what is fueling our life is there, that our life is fueled, that we're motivated to take the next step, but also that we're motivated by the right sorts of things. And this is what I love the most about Paul's letters. When you read the letters of the Apostle Paul to the churches, I love the fact that he doesn't just tell people, just do the right thing. He doesn't just send them a list of things. This is what you need to do. Do this, do this, do this, do this. And and he doesn't try to scare them into doing it. He doesn't say, do this or else. He doesn't try to uh, guilt them into taking the next step. You know what he does? He, He fills their tank with the gospel and then he starts the engine. Right? Every single time he fills their tank with the gospel and he fills them up with all of this rich theology and he says, let this motivate you. Let this be the fuel for taking the next step. So, in the book of Romans, that's what we're going to look at this morning, but in Romans, chapters 12 through 16 are really the next step. Here's what you need to do. And Paul has a whole lot of things that that he wants them to do. A lot of things that are the good thing, the next step. Things like welcome each other in spite of cultural and ethnic differences. Welcome each other in spite of differences of opinion. Love and serve each other. Even love and serve your enemies. But he doesn't just tell them, just do it. And he doesn't tell them, do it or you're going to go to hell. And he doesn't try to guilt them into doing it. He doesn't say, do this and prove that you're more spiritual than other people. He tells them about the mercies of God. Eric read for us in our communion focus from Romans chapter 3. Look at verses 23 and 24. He says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He started in the very beginning and talked about the Gentile world And then he moved to the Jewish world, and then in chapter 3, he he lumps everybody together and says, everybody, all of you, have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And if you're justified before God, if you're made right before God, then it's because God gave you this gift. He gave you the gift through Jesus that you might be right in God's sight. And so justified, he, he goes on, justified by faith in Jesus, Romans 4 and 5, that were set free from the bondage of sin when we're baptized into Jesus, Romans chapter six. That were released from the law, Romans chapter seven. That were made alive by the spirit, Romans chapter eight. That were grafted into the family of Abraham, Romans chapter 11. All of this, Paul is building and building and building and building. He's filling their tank. There's a lot of things that Paul wants them to do. A lot of practicalities that he's going to get into and say you should do this. You should welcome each other in spite of your cultural differences and your ethnic differences. You should welcome each other in spite of the fact that you disagree on some of your opinions. You should love each other. You should serve each other. You should practice hospitality. You should love your enemies. You should feed them. You should give them something to drink. There are a lot of things that Paul wants them to do Just like in our life, we know that there are a lot of things that we should do. But what's motivating us to do those things? Sometimes it's nothing. We're just unmotivated to do those good things that we ought to do. But sometimes we're doing them, but we're doing them with the wrong motivation. This is the right type of motivation. Paul is filling the churches in Rome up with the good news, with the gospel. He's fueling what he wants them to do with the mercies of God, saying God has had mercy on you. God has justified you. You're justified as a gift by faith in Jesus. You're set free from the bondage of sin when you were baptized into Jesus. You're released from the law. You're made alive by the Spirit You're grafted into the family of Abraham. These are all of your blessings. And so he fills them up with the gospel, and then he sort of starts the ignition in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. So let's look at that, Romans 12 and verse 1. I just kind of want to walk through this verse slowly together and think about it. Some translations, well, I'll just read the verse first. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, some translations begin with the word therefore. Therefore. I, I like starting with that word, therefore. Because everything Paul is about to say, it hinges on that word. It hinges on what he said before. Because when you read the word therefore, you got to see what came before, right? Before that. And Paul says, based on all of this, therefore. Therefore, what? He says, therefore, I appeal to you. I appeal to you. I love that word. The the word literally means, it's the next slide, appeal. It's not a command, but it's an urging. It's a pleading. It's a begging. The word literally means to call somebody to your side. I appeal to you. I beg with you. I plead with you. I strongly urge you. But I I want us to understand something that Paul always seemed to understand. It's their choice. It's the church's choice in Rome. All of these things that he's about to tell them to do, to do, to welcome each other and love each other and love their enemies and do all of these good things and to not do all of these bad things, it's their choice And Paul, as an apostle of Jesus, says, I'm appealing to you, I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you. And the same is true for us. It's your choice. It has to be your choice. Nobody can twist your arm. Having your arm twisted, being compelled to do good is not good motivation, And when we were kids, maybe that's why we did good, right? I mean, I know I came to church when I was a kid because my mama made me come to church and my daddy made me come to church and I had to. And if I didn't, there was gonna be punishment and consequences, but having your arm twisted and being compelled as an adult, a mature follower of Jesus, that's not good motivation. And Paul's not trying to twist anybody's arm. He's appealing to them. He's pleading with them. He's begging them. He's urging them. And, and he is doing the same to us and for us. Now, the word by is, a, is an important word. I, I appeal to you. Therefore, everything I've said, I appeal to you by, or some translation says, in view of, or because of, or based on. This is the basis on which I'm going to appeal to you and beg you, and plead with you and urge you to take the next step. This is the basis. With this in mind, in view of this, this is what's going to fuel your fire. This is what's going to cause you to take the next step. Not pride, not fear, not guilt, but what? I appeal to you by the mercies of God. That word mercies means display of concern over another's misfortune. Think about that for a second. Display of concern over another's misfortune, compassion or pity. that's, That's what God has had on you, not just an internal feeling of compassion or pity or mercy, but the actual exercising of compassion and pity to see someone along the road who has had misfortune come upon them and to not just feel bad for them, but to stop and to change their situation. We were alone and God gave us relationship. We were guilty, and God, through Jesus, has made us innocent. We were dead, and God, through Jesus, has made us alive. These are the mercies of God. Everything that Paul has said, from Romans chapter 1 to Romans chapter 11, everything, these mercies of God. You've been justified. All of the wrong that you've ever done, all of the sins that you've ever committed, you've been made right with God in spite of all of those because you've put your faith in Jesus. When you were baptized into Jesus, you were clothed with him, you were buried with him, you were united with him so that when you came up out of the water of baptism, not only did you have this brand new life, but you were set free released from the bondage of sin, who was like a slave master to you. He was like Pharaoh to you. He controlled you and had you in his grips, and now through Jesus, you're set free. Now through Jesus, you've been grafted in, whether you're a Jew or you're a Gentile, it doesn't matter, your culture, your ethnicity, your race, you've been grafted into the family of Abraham. And all of the promises that God has made to the family of Abraham, they're yours in Christ Jesus. Not because of your perfection, not because of your righteousness, because none of you are righteous. You've all been justified as a gift through faith in Christ Jesus. And Paul says, now, therefore, based on all of this, in view of all of this, on this basis, I beg you, I plead with you, I appeal to you on the, by the mercies of God to do what? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This, this, this is what God wants for you. Not because of guilt, not because of pride, not to prove your superiority, But because God has had mercy on you, because God has saved you, because God has justified you, because he's released you and freed you, and you were dead, but now you're alive. You were alone, but now you have family. You were guilty, but now you're innocent. Because all of these things are true, take your whole body, your whole self, your hands and your feet and your mouth, your whole body, and present it to God as a living sacrifice to say, this is yours. I am yours. Everything I am and everything I have, it's yours. I want to serve you. I want to do whatever my hands find to do to your glory. I want my feet to take me to share the good news with people. I want to open my mouth and tell people how wonderful you are, not because of guilt, not out of shame, not in an effort to try to justify myself, not to prove that I'm more spiritual than someone else, but simply out of gratitude because you've saved me. It moves me and motivates me and fuels me to take the next step. Last night, my family and I were having a a devotional and we were singing the song When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, Isaac Watts. And the last line of the song says, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. That's exactly what Paul is saying. Love so amazing, so divine, demands your life, your soul, You're all. Paul says, I've just filled your tank with the gospel. I've just filled your tank with all of the mercies of God and how merciful and gracious God has been to you. Now, therefore, based on all of that, I beg you and plead with you to take your whole self and present it to God as a living sacrifice. Jesus wants people who are motivated by his mercy. Motivated by his mercy. And so, right now is a tremendous opportunity. Every time we gather together is a great opportunity to ask ourselves Am I, first time I've motivated? Am I motivated? Because some of us may be unmotivated. We know some of the things we ought to do, we know some of the relationships that are broken and need to be fixed. Apologies that need to be offered. Encouragement that needs to be offered. A phone call that we need to make. A visit that we need to make. Repentance that needs to happen. Something that we've been doing that needs to be taken out of our life and we know it needs to be done. But we also know it's going to be hard and challenging and so we've just been unmotivated to do it. What ought you to do? Fill your tank with the gospel. Focus on the mercies of God and what He's done for you, what He's willing to do for you, the mercy He's had on you. And if that doesn't move you to action, I don't know what will. But we also need to examine our life and say, Am I running on the right fuel? Am I fueled by and motivated by the right sorts of things? Church, there's been a whole lot of times in my life where I found that I was doing the right thing for the wrong reason. The only cure for that, the only cure for that is to fill our hearts with the gospel of Jesus, is to fill our hearts with the truth that I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but I've been justified as a gift by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And to run on that fuel, to be motivated by the mercies of God. Because those who are self-motivated and try to motivate themselves, I mean, you can look in the mirror and tell yourselves all kinds of self-affirming things, but eventually you'll run out of things to say. The self-motivated will eventually find themselves unmotivated. Those of us who are motivated by recognition will eventually find ourselves feeling unappreciated. Those who are motivated by superiority will eventually find themselves feeling inferior. Those who are motivated by fear will eventually find themselves feeling insecure. But those who are motivated by God's mercy, think about this for a second. If you're motivated by God's mercy, you'll never... You'll never run out of fuel because his mercies never end. They are new every morning. And you will never have to run out of fuel. So I encourage all of us, go home and read Romans or sit and meditate and think about how merciful God has been to you and let his mercies be your motivation to take the next step by faith. Maybe there's somebody here this morning And you're ready to do, as Paul described in Romans 6, be buried with Jesus in baptism. Start that new life. Let his mercy that he has shown to all of mankind move you to embracing and receiving the forgiveness that's in Christ Jesus. Or maybe, maybe you've just found yourself unmotivated or motivated by the wrong things. And maybe you need prayers of your church family Our shepherds would love to pray with you after service in the prayer room or we as a church family who have all found ourselves in that sort of situation before would love to pray with you and encourage you. Let's all take our next step, whatever that may be. And may we all be motivated by his mercy. Come forward now if we can help you in any way.